right, we are going to continue uh, our study here through the Bible. Last week we were in the book of Galatians, and if you recall last week, the topic or the theme was on the liberty that we have in Christ, that now that we are, um, that we are saved, we are freed from the burden of the law, um, we are free from the burden of sin, we've been freed from all of those, um, all of those burdens, and we have liberty in Christ, and that was the message Paul had for that church. Don't go back into dead religion. Don't go back to dead rituals. Don't go back to just going through the motions. You've been freed from that, and you have liberty in Christ, and don't go back into the, to, to dead religion. Um, this week, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians, specifically Ephesians chapter number 1. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Ephesians chapter number 1. And in this letter that Paul wrote um, to this church, is a little bit different. Uh, he's not talking about the liberty they have in Christ. He's writing to them to tell them about the riches that they have in Christ. Now, if, if, you've, uh, if you've been with us for very long, you recall the, the church in Ephesus was a, a very uh, prominent church, uh, probably other than the church in Jerusalem. And this day, it was probably one of the more prominent churches. Um, Paul pastored, he started this church, he pastored that church. Timothy pastored uh, the church of Ephesus for a while. Um, uh, even, uh, even the Apostle John, and, and a, a pastor, according to church history, pastored this church. And this was the home church of Mary, the mother of Jesus. This all took place in this church in Ephesus. So a very prominent church. And in this letter that Paul has, it's, be, it's been about 10 years um, since he founded this church um, in Ephesus. And now he's writing back to them about 10 years later to uh, continue to... Uh, train them to continue to give them doctrine and really it's about telling them about the blessings that they have the riches they have in Christ but also the responsibility they have as a result of those riches and so that's kind of what the book of Ephesians is about chapter number one is specifically talking about these riches of Christ to explain these riches and also the responsibilities we have as Christians and the key verse um, probably in this entire book but, but for our study this morning on chapter number one, it will be verse number three. And so what does the Bible say here in verse number three? It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And this is the theme of this book of the Bible. It's about these blessings, or you could, you, maybe we could, and he uses this, this verbiage as well, which we'll look at a little later. He talks about riches that we have in Christ. This is what Paul is talking about to this church in Ephesus. He's reminding them that they are not, uh, they are not, uh, they are not in spiritual poverty. Um, they, have not been, uh, they have not been withheld any good thing that God has for them. They have all these riches available to them. Uh, it reminds me about the story of the first gold rush in America. And uh, maybe you've heard of, of this. The first gold rush was not in California. The first gold rush that America really had that really became kind of, you know, uh, captured the attention of the nation was actually in North Carolina, and it was in 1803. And, uh, and this gold rush started, it was started by a man, uh, his name was John Reed, and he was out walking in the, in the, in the, the you know, the, the mountains, the, hill, the hills, the Smoky Mountains there in, in western North Carolina, and he came across this creek and he found this interesting looking rock. And so he liked the way that it looked, and he brought it home. He had no idea what it was, and they used it as a doorstop for three years. Have you heard the story? A 17-pound nugget of gold was found by this guy named John Reed, and for three years they had this, uh, this 
you know, this, this precious uh, uh, nugget of gold as their doorstop in their house. And it wasn't until a man coming through uh, visited them and he offered to buy that 17-pound gold nugget for $3.50. And they sold it. They sold the 17-pound gold nugget for $3.50. And then whenever this guy went back and told everybody, that's when the first gold rush happened. It was actually in North Carolina. And whenever I hear that story, it reminds me about the way a lot of us as Christians live, that we have all these riches in Christ, and we're totally ignorant. We're totally oblivious. We're using them as a doorstop, and then we're selling them for pennies, not realizing the value that we have in Christ. And this is the message that Paul has for this church. What he's saying is, don't use this priceless gift that God has for you. These riches you have in heaven, don't discard them. Don't use them as a doorstop, spiritually speaking, in your life. That these are riches that Christ has for you. They've been purchased at a high price, and they've been made available. And for you, as, you and I as Christians, we're to, we're to rejoice in these blessings or these riches that God has for us. Um, we'll start our study here in verse number three, as we, as we read a, a moment ago. And I want you to notice a couple of things about these riches about these blessings that God, God has for us. First of all, we should, we should be aware of the source of these blessings. Where do they come from? Where, where's the, where's the, the origin? Where's the genesis of these riches? Do they come from me and my goodness and how good I am? Oh, no, no. These riches come from God. They're, he's the source of these riches. He's the source of these blessings he has for us. In verse number 7 of this chapter, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. It's not our grace. The source of this rich, these riches, the source of these blessings are not from us. They're not from this world. They're from God. He's the source of these blessings, not just when it comes to God's grace, but let's look at a verse, uh, chapter 1, verse number 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that she may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints. Now it's talking about this blessing of inheritance. But whose inheritance is it? It's his inheritance. It's talking about the source of where these blessings are coming from. They belong to him. In chapter 2, verse number 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Who's, whose mercy is it talking about? It's talking about his mercy. And the Bible says that he's rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. He's got a lot of mercy to give out. I'm not sure if you have any wealthy friends or not. I don't. All my, all my friends are, are, are not wealthy, but I've been able to come across the acquaintance of a couple of wealthy people, and I'll tell you, it's fun hanging out with them. It's, they pay for all the meals. Uh, you know, if we're traveling anywhere, they take care of all the transportation. It's a lot of fun because you're hanging out with a rich person, and they have excess funds they can use to pay, pay for all the things that, we, that I'm normally responsible for. It's fun to hang out with rich people. Can I tell you what the Bible says? That he's rich in mercy. He's got a lot of it to give. And whenever we feel like we've messed up, we've gone too far, I can't, I'm so ashamed, I can't even show my face, I've failed so miserably. Oh, no, 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 listen, God is rich in mercy. He has mercy for us that we can always turn to him. Even when we feel like we can't turn to anybody else, God says, oh, I got plenty of mercy. Come to me, I'll give you all that you need. He's rich in mercy, but whose mercy is it? It's his. And then in uh, chapter 3, verse number 8, the Bible says, unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. They're, they're Christ riches. The, the point that Paul is making here is 
at the very beginning, don't misunderstand, where, do all, where does all this goodness come from? It comes from God. And we should, be, we should have a spirit of gratitude for that because it's not, it wasn't my mom and dad, although I'm grateful for my mom and dad. It wasn't my mom and dad that gave me these riches. It wasn't all the other wonderful people I've met in my life, great uh, pastors and mentors and leaders and spiritual teachers and all these people that we've met ac- ac- across our life. These are all wonderful people. I'm thankful for all of them. But those riches, those blessings didn't come from any man. They didn't come from any person. They came from God. And we should be grateful for that. But not just the source of our riches, which is they come from the Father, but also the scope of our riches. In verse number three, it talks about um, a blessed be God, uh, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings that God has for us, not physical, although God certainly does bless us with physical blessings. I mean, the rain that we're having today, that's a blessing from God. That's a blessing from God that we have. It's a physical blessing. But God has for his children also spiritual blessings. And can I tell you, they are worth far more than any physical blessing you could ever have. Uh, I'm reminded of that story in the book of Acts. I think it's Acts Acts chapter number 3, where where Peter is walking through town and and a man, a a, a poor beggar, calls out and says, you know, hey, hey, give me some money. And, And what does Peter say to that man? He says, silver and gold have I none. You know, for some of us, that's the worst thing that could ever be said. For some of us, the worst thing that could ever happen is we lose all of our money. That's how some people live. The worst, the worst, testament, the worst testimony they could ever have is I'm poor. God, I can deal with anything except for not having money. Lord, don't do that to me. But Peter said, hey, I don't have silver and gold, but that which I do have, I'll give to you. And what happened to that man? He was healed. He was blessed. You see, God has not just for his physical blessing, he has something much more valuable than a physical blessing, like, uh, uh, you know, some monetary blessing or some physical, tangible thing. No, he has spiritual blessings for us. The scope of our blessings are not carnal, they're not physical, they're not temporal, they're everlasting, they're eternal, they're heavenly. We have spiritual blessings worth far more than any physical thing we could ever have. I, I'm, uh, you know, sometimes we maybe get intimidated well, let me put it this way. There are some people, um, uh, and God bless them, some people will come to, church, come to our church. This has happened since I've been here several times. People will come to church on a Sunday morning, and they'll come and they'll say, I'm in need of some money. You know, I've got, and that happens sometimes in life. People will come to church, and they will not be able to pay the, the electric bill. It's, it's going to be cold weather coming. And they'll come to church, and they'll want some assistance. They'll want some help, and they'll come to the church and say, can you give me some, some money that I can use to put gas in the car or feed my family? And the church has a benevolence fund where they will give money to people that are in that situation. And whenever they come in, you know, maybe we might have an attitude of, oh, that person, they really need help. We, you know, we could probably, they need to hear the gospel. And that's all true. They, 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 need to, they, need to, they need to be told the truth of the, of the word of God, and they need to be helped, and we can help them. There's something we can do to help them. And that's kind of the spirit or attitude we have in those situations. But can I tell you, just as much as that person that doesn't, doesn't even sure that, they're not sure how they're going to feed their family today, and they might come to church looking for a handout, just as much as that person needs the gospel, the person living in a $3 million house's lake of the Ozarks needs the gospel. See, we get so caught up and we think just as long as our physical needs are met, we're okay. As long as we have physically what we need, we're blessed. Can I tell you, there are things that are far more valuable than physical blessings. They are spiritual blessings. And whenever you're talking to somebody about salvation, oh, don't ever hold your head down and think, you know, you can't talk to a wealthy person about salvation. They need it more. 
What did Jesus say? It's more likely that for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into the kingdom of heaven. You see, we, we, we get it all mixed up. We get it twisted. We think we have nothing to offer wealthy people because we can't offer them anything, anything physical. And what God is saying is, oh, there's things so much more valuable than physical blessings. What value is a house if it doesn't have a home? You know, what value is a... Uh, uh, what, what, what value is an engagement ring if you have no one to give it to? You see, there's things more valuable than physical, tangible blessings. There are these spiritual blessings that God has for us. And they're waiting, and they're in heaven, just waiting to be claimed. And yet, as I said, many Christians, they live their spiritual life with this gold nugget of blessings. They use it as a doorstop in their life. Not just the source and the scope, but also the sphere of, of our riches they're in heavenly places it says here um, in the second part of that verse who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in christ our spiritual blessings are coming from heaven they're not they're not earthly they're heavenly we have heavenly blessings and that's our place that's the place that it, it, according to god whenever he looks at us we are in heavenly places we are seated that's our position that we have in christ now, salvation is, uh, salvation is a, a um, well, there's, there's different aspects of salvation. Um, you know, we, whenever we are saved, we're regenerated, we're born again. And that, and that happens at a moment in time in our life, and we are regenerated. But then in life, uh, not only are we regenerated, but also we need to grow and mature as a Christian. And so there's a, mat a maturing process, that's called sanctification. So I'm regenerated, in a moment in time, I I, I, I repent of my sins. I put my faith in Jesus Christ, the finished work of Calvary and what he did for me on my behalf. I'm regenerated. But now as a Christian, I'm going to be sanctified. That's, that's the process of sanctification. I'm maturing in Christ. Hopefully I'm more mature today than I was five years ago as a Christian. But one day I'm going to be glorified. That's called glorification. And I'm going to receive a glorified body. And all the temptations of sin will go away. And all the desires for doing uh, selfish, sinful things will all go away. And I'll be glorified one day. But right now, according to God, when he looks at you, you are in heavenly places. That's your position in God. That's your position in Christ. And whenever we think about our position, our position, our place... That represents our authority that we have. And what, what I mean by that is uh, the, uh, the person that sits in the Oval Office of the United States of America, the person that has that position, they have certain authority. They're the President of the United States. That's their position. That's their place that signifies their... Well, for example, the place that I'm from is the United States. That's my place that I'm from. And because I'm a, a citizen of the United States, I have certain privileges that come with that. I have certain responsibilities that come with that. But that's my position, that's my place, and with it comes that authority of that responsibility. And whenever Paul's talking about heavenly places, he's saying your position, your place is in heaven. And, and because that's your place, well, we have certain responsibilities. There's a story uh, of Queen Victoria that whenever she was born, her family kept it from her that she would one day sit upon the throne. And so as she was a, a young person, a toddler coming into adolescence, she was into her teen years before anyone ever told her, oh, by the way, you're going to sit on the throne one day. And whenever she was told this, this purpose that she had, this, this place that she had coming for her in the future, she said, well, if I'm, if I'm going to be a queen, I'm going to be a good one. And boy, isn't that the testimony that we should have, the, the spirit that we should have is that we've been called to this really high place of privilege. We are seated in the heavenly places, and if we're going to be a Christian... Well, we should be a good one. We should endeavor and desire that 
our, 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 that we live according to the place that we're from. And the place that you're from is a heavenly place. And our place signifies our authority, our responsibility, and our privilege. And so Paul opens up this chapter by expressing to them the source of where all these riches, all these blessings come from. They're from our Heavenly Father. And then he goes on here in the, in the, in the rest of this chapter, he begins to talk about the blessings we get from our Heavenly Father, these riches, the blessings we get from Jesus Christ, and the riches that we get from the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to be looking at for the rest of our time here this morning in Ephesians chapter number 1. In verses 4 through 6, we see the blessings that come from the Father. 4 through 6. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us into the adoption of children of Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And so Paul then begins to tell them about some blessings that God has prepared for them. And what are these blessings? The first blessing is this, that he chose us. In verse number four, according as he hath chosen us in him. See, we didn't choose God, God chose us. What does the Bible say in the book of Romans? It says that there are none that seek after God. There are none that doeth good. And if it was up to us, we would not have called out to God. But it was God that chose us and has and given us an, an invitation to call out to him. And we see that salvation is from God it's not from man. That God is the one that chose how this would work. God is the one that planned salvation. God is the one that provided salvation. And that we see in this verse that there is a sovereign plan that God has, that he has chosen mankind to extend to them salvation, but there's also a responsibility of man to choose Jesus Christ as his Savior. And so in verse number four, he says that we've been blessed because God has chosen you. This morning, God has chosen you for salvation. If you're in here this morning, if, if, you're, if you can hear the sound of my voice, if you're watching online, God has chosen you for salvation. God has provided salvation for mankind, and it comes from God, not from man. But not just has he chosen us, but in verse number 5, he's adopted us, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of debate and discussion about these words predestined, uh, and I would say that it would just, I would encourage you whenever you come across maybe a, a word that you're not familiar with or you're not sure what it means, look up that word in other places in the Bible. And what you'll find every time the word predestined is used, it's always talking about these blessings that God has prepared for his children. We have this, um, we have this verse here where God has predestined us to adoption. We read, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, where God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Whenever the Bible talks about predestination, it's talking about before God ever created the universe, he already had a plan in mind. He said, you know what, regardless of what they do, I've already predetermined I'm going to conform them to the image of my son. Those that accept Christ as their savior, I've already decided I'm going to choose them into adoption. That's what this word uh, predestined means. It means that God has already before ordained. That's what it means, before ordained. God has already said, I'm, I'm going to choose salvation, and once they're saved, they can never be unsaved. And once they're saved, they're going, to be, they're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This is what God has predestined for all of his saints, for all of his children. But he talks about this adoption. Now, you, whenever you are saved, you're born again. You become a new creature. But whenever you're born again, uh, you, you, aren't, you aren't a second class. Well, let's, let me put it this way. We, in, our, in our modern world, there are certain things you can only do if you're a certain age. You can't vote. 
unless you're 18, correct? Is that what it, hopefully you're 18, you know, who knows what's going on nowadays with voting, but you're supposed to be 18 to vote. You can't join the military until you're 18, correct? There are certain things, you can't drive a car until you're 16. I think you have to be 21 to own a gun, is that correct? Or is it 18? Yeah, to be 18 to have a rifle, 21 to have a pistol. We have certain restrictions of that you have to have be a certain age before you get the privilege of having that right. If you want the, the right to vote, you have to be a certain age, correct? Well, God doesn't work like that. Whenever it talks about adoption in the Bible, it's not talking about, you know, maybe sometimes we think about adopting an infant or a toddler. It's talking about the adoption. Whenever it talks about adoption, it's talking about the rights you have as an adult being a child of someone. What I'm saying is whenever you become saved, there's not like a waiting period of like, well, I have to be saved for five years before I can get this blessing. And I have to wait till I'm 18 years saved before I can get this blessing. No, no. When it talks about adoption, it's saying you have all the full rights and privileges available to an adult child. God has provided all these riches and they're available right now. And it doesn't matter if you've been saved for one second or you've been saved for a hundred years, all those privileges, all those riches, all those blessings are available to you because he has predestined to adopt us. And not just has he chosen us and adopted us, but in verse number six, he's accepted us to the praise of our, of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You've been accepted. There, there's some, there's some places I can't go because I'm not accepted. There's some places that I've, if I went to walk in there, they'd say, you are not accepted in here. There's going to be a whole bunch of uh, football games starting in a couple of hours. And in order for you to be accepted into that facility, into that venue, you have to have a ticket. Well, I don't have any tickets for any football games. So if I went there, they would say, you're not allowed. You are not accepted here. Then there are a whole, a whole bunch of other examples we could give. Um, there, are certain, um, there are certain countries I cannot go into. For example, I cannot go into North Korea. Not that I want to, but I'm just saying, if I, if I, if I wanted to go there, I could not go inside of North, North Korea because I'm not accepted there. Can I tell you this morning, God has accepted you. And he's accepted you into the most, something so much better than a stupid football game or some communist country. Something so much better than that. He has accepted you into his grace. You are accepted. You don't have to, this morning, you don't have to question and wonder, am I accepted of God? There may be some people you have to think that about. There may some, be some places. There may be some organizations. There may be some governments. We, we may, as people ask, are we accepted there? But you don't have to wonder if you're accepted of God. You are accepted. If you've called upon Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are accepted. These are the blessings. These are the riches that we have in Christ. Boy, we, we, we'd be bragging. If we were accepted in, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe not today, but if, uh, uh, let's just say if you got the invitation to go to the White House, regardless of who the president, let's just set that aside for a moment. Let's just forget about who's currently the president. But let's just say you got an invitation to the White House. I think most of us, even the most humble of us, might post something on Facebook to say, you know, pray for me as I go to the White House today, you know, kind of humble brag or whatever. Now, some of us, we'd be broadcasting it everywhere. Guys, you're not going to believe what's going to I'm going to the White House. Man, we'd be excited because we are accepted into this very ex exclusive place, this place of great power and prestige and authority. That's nothing compared to being accepted by God. That God has so much more than anything a, a president could offer, anything more than a government could offer, and we're accepted. You know, could I, could I say this morning that, that you're unable to make yourself acceptable? 
You can't make yourself acceptable in God's eyes. And a lot of people try and do that. That is, that is Christianity for them. That is religion. That is coming to church. They're trying to make themselves acceptable. And what, I'm, and, and what the Bible is teaching us this morning is that you are acceptable just as you are, but you have to come to him. And he makes you acceptable through Jesus Christ. He, well, the way, that, way, the way that Paul puts it in the book of uh, Romans is you have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ upon your account. You've been made righteous. You've been made acceptable through Jesus Christ. These are the blessings, the gifts from the Father. But not just the gifts from the Father, we also have the gifts from the Son. In verse number 7 through 12, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he, wherein he hath adopted us, he hath, he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he himself hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him, and whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So Paul spends some time talking about these blessings that God has. He's chosen us, he's adopted us, he's accepted us. And now he says that we have some blessings from the Son. The first one is that he's redeemed us. We've been redeemed. And we don't use that word a lot today in our modern language. Maybe a good example of it would be, uh, uh, do you remember, I, well, this happened quite a bit when I was a kid. My mom would go to a Kmart. Uh, which is, it doesn't exist anymore, but she'd go to Kmart and she'd put something on layaway. Anybody ever uh, had a parent or a grandparent or somebody that did some, put something on layaway? Uh, and so what she would do, she'd go to Kmart and she would, you know, maybe, maybe it was something for Christmas and she would take it to the counter and she would she'd say, I want to purchase this and she'd pay a little bit every week and she would put it on layaway and whenever she had fully paid for it, they gave her that item and she could take it home. And that's what the picture of redemption is. It means there's this process where you're paying for something and whenever you pay for it, it's been freed, it's been released. Another way that it was commonly used back in these days, and, and uh, thank the Lord we don't have to deal, deal with this, but back in these days, slavery was very common. It was very common to be a bond servant. And what some people would do is they would bless somebody by saying, I'm going to Pay for your, I'm going to pay the price for your slavery, and I'm going to set you free. That's what it means to be redeemed, to be set free, for the price to be paid, and you've been set free, you've been released. And the, and the gift, the riches that Jesus Christ has for those that call upon him to be their Savior is he will set you free because he's paid the price. You've been freed from the law. You've been freed from sin. You've been freed from condemnation. You've been freed from judgment. You have been redeemed. That's a blessing that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, we're not just free from judgment and condemnation, but we're free from the power of sin and the power of the world, this world and the power of Satan. And these are the blessings that we have from the Son. We've been redeemed, but not just been redeemed, we've been forgiven. It says, in whom we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness, that word, it means to carry away. That's what it means. To forgive, to carry away, to to, to take away that guilt, to take away that sin, that you've been forgiven, that you've been, uh, uh, this, this happened not too long ago. Uh, the, uh, 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 one of my sons got into, uh, got into a, you know, a, a, an argument or something with some other kids in the church, 
and there was a little bit of a falling out, and, and I found out about it, and, I, and, my, and my son was wrong. He, did the, he made the wrong, he'd made the wrong choice. He said the wrong thing. He had the wrong behavior, and so we dealt with that, and I told him, hey, you have to go, and you have to say you're sorry. You have to go ask for forgiveness for, do it, for saying that. You shouldn't have said that, and you have to go ask for forgiveness, and so whenever we came back to church the next time, he went down, and he asked for forgiveness, and we were driving home Sunday afternoon after church, and, uh, and, and he was telling me about how that went. He's like, you know, I went and spoke to him and I asked him to forgive me. And he forgives better than I do because after I said, would you forgive me? He said, yes. And then he invited me to his birthday party. <laughs> and he's like, me, he really forgive me. He really forgave me. And he can only invite three people to his birthday party. And he invited me. He really forgave me. And whenever my son was telling me that, I was like, that's a pretty good definition of forgiveness. That, that you would forgive someone and then invite them to the party afterwards. That's what forgiveness is, that, you, that, you, that you, you're not going to hold it against them anymore. You're not going to use it as leverage to try and beat them down or make them feel bad or, or force them to do something. You want. No, that's not forgiveness. No, forgiveness is you take them off the hook. That's the definition of, of forgiveness is, hey, I forgive you, and guess what? Now you're invited to my party, and I can only invite three people, and you're one of them. I, until we get to that point, we've not really forgiven if we still hold resentment, if we still hold hostility, if we, ho- we still hold something against the person, we've not really given forgiveness. Forgiveness is, man, why don't you come to my party? I want you to be there. I want you to be around. You're, you're letting them off the hook. You're not going to hold it against them. And can I tell you this morning, Jesus has forgiven you. He's invited you to the party. He said, I want you to come to the party with me. You forget, you've been forgiven of your sin. In the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, this was one day a year. They did sacrifices continually before the Lord, but there was one day in particular, the Day of Atonement, where they dealt with the sins of the nation. These weren't the sins of the individual people that you would go and take, you know, the turtle dove or something. This was the sins of the nation, the Day of Atonement. And they would take these two goats, and there would be one that they would sacrifice, and they would take it and they would offer it up and they would sprinkle the blood inside of the holy of holies inside the temple the high priest would go in one day a year and he would sprinkle that blood upon the mercy seat and there would be atonement for the nation the sins of the nation but the second goat they didn't sacrifice that one they would take that goat and the priest would come over and he would put his hands upon the goat the bible says and it would transfer spiritually speaking it would transfer the sins the, the sins of the people onto this goat and then they would take that goat out to the wilderness and they would can take it out as far as they could and that goat would be taken away and they would be forgiven and this was where we get the term the scapegoat from that all of the all of the uh, the judgment and all of the condemnation was put upon that goat and then it was taken away away from the people and that's what forgiveness it means it means to be taken away and Jesus has offered you forgiveness. What a, what a blessing, what a, what a richness that we have in heaven, that we have forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Not just that we have redemption and not just that we have forgiveness, but also we see in verses 8 through 10 that God has revealed his will to us. Verse number 8, wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Now, you'll see this word in the Bible from time to time, mystery. And this, isn't, this doesn't mean like, some unknowable thing, the way sometimes we think about a mystery story, like you, you're not, you know, not going to know. But what it really means, it just means like a sacred secret, a, a, a spiritual sacred secret. It doesn't mean you can't know it. What it means is, is the Bible's revealing these mysteries to us. You can know what these mysteries are. And so it says, um, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he himself purposed in himself, 
that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. And so we see here now, we see the blessings of the, the revealing of God's will towards us. And what, is, what, did, what does the Bible re- reveal to us about God's will? It reveals to us about the plan of salvation. That's what, the, we, we, that's what Paul is referencing here. And, what's, uh, and what God, Paul is praising and what, and what Paul is glorying in is the way that God chose to save us. If, 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 uh, let's just say it was up to us. Let's just say that God you know, came down and he said, hey, listen, I want you guys to come up with a plan of salvation. I promise you, none of us would have chosen what God chose. None of us. We would have said, okay, we got to be better. We got we to stop sinning, guys. We got to come up with a plan, and we got to come up with a bunch of rules, and we got to come up with a bunch of ways to keep us accountable, and we got to stop sinning to, make, to earn our way to heaven. That's what we would have come up with, or something similar to that. Some, some behavior, some practice, some, some, some task we have to do in order to earn our way to heaven. But God, in his wisdom, he realized, if I try and do that, they're all going to fail. I can't do that. I've got to come up with a plan of salvation that doesn't count on them at all. I've got to take all the responsibility away from them. I've got to take all the, all the burden of performing salvation. I've got to take it all away from them. I've got to come up with a plan that they can't mess up. And that's what God did. He came up with a plan of salvation that we can't mess up. If we will just trust in, in childlike faith, you can be saved. That's how easy God made it. Now let me tell you, salvation was not free. There are some people, I've even seen like gospel tracts, God's free gift of salvation. There's nothing free. And, I'll, and that's, that's true in all of life. Whenever somebody's like, uh, you know, buy one, get one free. No, no, it's not free. Whenever somebody's like, hey, I got a coupon for a free pizza. No, no, it's not free. Oh, I, I got this deal that if I signed a two-year agreement, I get a free phone. Oh, no, no, it's not free. Nothing is free. Somebody's paying for it somewhere. Now, that free pizza... You may not have paid for it, but it wasn't free. Somebody paid for it. Whether it was the company, whether it was a vendor, whether it was some other kind of rebate program, somebody somewhere paid for that product. Can I tell you, salvation was not free. It was a costly salvation. But God didn't make us pay for it. He's provided it for you. He's provided this blessing, this richness from heaven. He's provided salvation and he's blessed us with this, this plan of salvation that doesn't count upon me. It even says here uh, in verse number 8, wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Like God knew, I can't, I can't count on them to, to, for salvation. I've got I've to approach them with wisdom, with prudence, and come up with a plan that they can't mess up. And so God has give, given us this blessing of salvation and then, or Jesus has given us this blessing of salvation revealed to us. And then in verses 11 through 12, we have, uh, we have another blessing. In uh, verse number 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, bring, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be, uh, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. What's this other blessing or richness that we have in heaven because of Jesus Christ? We have been given an inheritance. We've been given an inheritance. And not just an inheritance, the Bible goes on to say that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Turn over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number, uh, Romans chapter number 8. We looked at this portion of Scripture a few weeks ago, but 
it, came, it was brought back to my mind as I was looking at this topic of inheritance, that what does it mean when it says we are joint heirs? Romans chapter 8 and verse number 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. What's it mean to be a joint heir? What that means is, it means a couple of things. It means, first of all, that if Jesus wants to get his inheritance, that we've got to be there too. We're, well, this, is, this is a package deal. And, and, and whenever Jesus gets his inheritance, we've got to be a part of that package. What I'm saying is Jesus is not allowed to go get his inheritance by himself anymore. God, God, God decreed that. God's the one that ordained that. God says, I'm not just going to make you an heir. I'm making you a joint heir with my son. What that means is he can't claim the inheritance unless you claim the inheritance. He can't cut you out is what the, what the Bible is saying. Like uh, you remember the story of uh, Jacob and Esau, where Esau sold his birthright. What, what the Bible is saying is God is saying, that can never happen. You're joint heirs. It's, it's in combination. And also, not only does it mean that he can't claim it by himself, you have to be a joint heir. You can't just be by yourself. But also it means everything that he has a right to, you have a right to. Now, in the Bible, whenever they have inheritance, they talked about, you've heard, maybe heard of a double blessing. The firstborn, if, whenever, they, whenever they distributed the inheritance, and let's say you had you know, 10 boys, the first boy would get a double blessing. And all the other ones would get just a regular blessing, just a, a regular portion. What the Bible is saying is whenever we're joint heirs, Everything that Jesus is entitled to, we as joint heirs are entitled to the same thing. That we don't have to be the firstborn to get the double blessing. Because you are joint heirs now with the firstborn. And everything that he's entitled to, you're entitled to as well. This is a blessing that Jesus Christ has in heaven waiting for us. And I don't think we quite understand what that means in this life. But one day we will. We're joint heirs with Christ. This is a gift he has for us. And then... We see the blessings we have from the Holy Spirit here in verses 13 and 14. So blessings from the Heavenly Father, blessings from Jesus Christ. And once again, we're talking about blessings or riches. And then we see in verses 13 and 14, these riches or blessings we have through the Holy Spirit. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And so what are these blessings or riches we have provided to us by the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, he has sealed us. In verse number 13, it says you have been sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Whenever you got saved, whenever you called out to Jesus Christ to be your Savior, in that moment, not only did you get a transaction in heaven where you were saved and all your sins were forgiven, but also the Holy Spirit has sealed your redemption. It's been sealed. And we use, uh, we use seals for a lot of different reasons uh, in, in business and in, in our life today. Sometimes people will use a seal, they'll use a notary to seal or verify that a transaction has been completed. Have you ever had to get something notarized before? And you got to go to a person and they have to observe and make sure that everything that's on the document is correct and that all the parties were in person and they actually physically signed it. And then a notary will put a seal on it saying, I certify I, that this has been done correctly. Whenever the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit sealing us, what it's saying is it's verifying, it's confirming the transaction has taken place. That everything that God said is available has been provided to that sinner that's called upon Jesus Christ to save him. But not just when it to show a, a finished transaction, but a seal is used to show ownership. 
People will put, uh, even, even today, but back in the old days, they would put a brand on cattle to show who owned it. They were sealing it. They were putting a, an indicator or a seal upon it saying, this belongs to me. Now, now they use like ear tags and stuff, but these are seals they put upon animals to say that I own this. This is my possession. And whenever the Holy Spirit sealed us, it's saying that we now belong to God. We're no longer a child of the devil. Uh, seals are also used for security and protection. Um, where I work, we have, we'll send out truckloads of product. And you have a truckload of product. Sometimes it can be almost $100,000 worth of stuff that we put inside that truck. And it has to go all the way across the country to deliver to some other location. And before that truck leaves, we'll put a seal on it that we can provide to the person wherever that gets to its end destination. That seal's not been tampered with. It's not been removed. That product has been protected. It's secure. And, what, and can I tell you, you're, you're going to go through a lot of difficult days in this life. There's going to be days where you don't feel like you're saved. There's going to be days where you feel like you failed God and you can't ever show your face in church again. There's going to be all kinds of tribulation you're going to go through in your life. But don't ever forget you have a seal. And nobody can tamper with it. Nobody can mess with it. You've been sealed unto the day of redemption. And then sometimes we'll use a seal to show that it's authentic. If you ever maybe uh, purchase collectibles or uh, you know, maybe some movie prop from a famous movie or some sports collectible. People buy, you know, people, if you guys remember whenever Mark McGuire was breaking the home run record and people were fighting each other in the stands trying to get all of his home run balls because they were going to be worth money, but you had to get them authenticated if you wanted to sell that ball. And so they'd have somebody come out and they'd view the video and make sure the correct person that caught it on TV is the person that's trying to sell it. They put a seal on it saying, this has been authenticated, it's, it's valid. And what the Bible is saying is the Holy Spirit, it authenticates our salvation before God. But not just as the Holy Spirit giving us a blessing that we've been sealed, but also it goes on to say here in verse number 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Not only has the Holy Spirit sealed us, but also the Holy Spirit has given us an earnest. What is an earnest? It's a down payment. That's what it means. Sometimes even today you'll make, a, you'll make a purchase on a vehicle or, or a house or a piece of land and you'll put down some earnest money. And why do you do that? It's a promise. You're making a promise to say, I'm putting down, let's say, you know, I'm going to buy this car for $50,000. But just to make sure you don't sell to somebody else and to prove to you I'm going to come back and buy it, here's a promise. Here's an earnest. Here's a down payment of $5,000. I'm going to buy this car. Don't sell it to anybody else. That's what an earnest is. Whenever the Holy Spirit uh, gave us this earnest promise, this was a, the first down payment that God is saying, you can take it to the bank, I'm going to come back, and I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to redeem you fully. It's kind of like whenever uh, a guy gets engaged to a girl, right? That's what an engagement ring is. It's an earnest. It's a promise from that young man. He's coming up, he's going to propose to a lady, he's like, I want to marry you, and I want to give you this engagement ring as a promise that I'm going to come back and I'm going to marry you. It's a promise that I'm going to remain faithful to you. It's a promise that we're going to have a life together. This is what the Holy Spirit's gift is for the Christian. It's an earnest. It's a down payment that you can trust God, that you can count on him, that he will, that he will, uh, that he will redeem us completely, not just, not just, uh, not just uh, it, you know, spiritually speaking, but actually literally we will be redeemed, we'll be glorified by God. And then the end part of this chapter, we won't have time to get through all this, but the end part of this chapter, Paul just lists many other blessings that we have, these riches that we have in Christ. And I'll just, I'll just briefly go through these and we'll be dismissed. Verse number 17, there's a blessing that we might know God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father 
of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That we might know him. That we might know God. That we might know the creator. That you can that, that your relationship with God can be a real relationship that you can have and be and, and have an intimate relationship with God. This is a blessing that God has for us prepared. That we can know God. What a blessing that is. Not just that we can know him, we can know the hope of his calling. Verse number 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints. That we might know the hope of his calling, that we have a hope that all people need. As I mentioned earlier, it's not just for the poor people, it's for the rich people. It's not just for America, it's for all around the world. It's not just for you, it's not just for you and for me, it's for all. We have this glory that we could know his calling, that he's called us to share the gospel with other people. And that we might know his true riches in verse number 18. And the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So we have these riches in heaven. And what's, and what's the thought here? What's Paul trying to communicate to these people? First of all, true riches, true real riches come from God. That's where true riches come from. They don't come from your job. They don't come from your boss. They don't come from the stock market. They don't come through Bitcoin. True riches come from God. And not just true riches come from God, but true riches are to be used for the glory of God. That the blessings that God has for us are not to be consumed upon ourselves, but they're to be used to glorify God. The reason why God gave you a voice is so you could lift it up and sing praises to him. The reason that God has given you a life is so you could glorify him. The reason why, this, this, is, what, uh, this is what we think a lot of times is, um, you know, we think uh, God, you know, came walking along. And, uh, you know, he saw, he saw poor, pitiful John McElroy, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't take care of himself in a bad spot, just totally, totally, you know, pathetic, worthless, you know, useless John McElroy. And, and in my grace and mercy, uh, I guess I'll save you and I'll make you a child of mine. And we just kind of think that's the way salvation works. But that's not the way that salvation works. This is the way that it works. God doesn't come by and see an old, worthless no good, sorry piece of trash, that he's just going to, out of just the kindness of his heart, he's just going to, I'll give you some grace and mercy so you can be saved. No, no, this is the way salvation works. God comes by and he sees somebody and says, I see value in you. And I want something from you. I want you to glorify me. And the only way you're going to glorify me is if I save you. And I'm saving you so you'll glorify me. That's salvation. What I'm saying is we have a responsibility. God didn't just save you just to save you. God wants you to do something now that you are saved. And he saved you to glorify him so God could be glorified. He, yeah, we, we, were, we were poor, miserable, worthless, wretched sinners. That's all true. But he saved you because he made an investment in you. He has an ex expectation he's going to get a return on that investment. Do you know what his return is? That you would glorify him. Now here in a few minutes, we're going to get to sing as a church. And you're going to get a chance to glorify God. And I would encourage you to do that this morning because that's why you're saved. You have all these riches in Christ. Don't use them as your doorstop. Don't sell them for $3.50. Realize what you have in Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you today for giving us. Thank you for these riches, Lord. That we, I, you know, Lord, I, I do my best, but Lord, I can't explain. I can't, I can't even understand all the riches you have for us. But I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us every day to learn more and more about this truth. I pray that you would bless the service that is to come. You'd be with our pastor. Use them in a mighty way. I pray that you would prepare our hearts now, even as we're getting ready to go into the service, to have 
hearts that want to glorify you and praise you for all that you've done in Christ. And we pray. Amen.